So happy to have you guys here for the second week of our series, How to Accomplish the Impossible. Um, I've heard good things. I've heard that a lot of people are looking for those answers. There's a lot of people that are going through tough times. I think we know that if we live in this world, there's going to be those impossible things that are going to happen in your life, those impossible situations you're going to find yourself in. And I'm sure like you're like me, you want to know how you can get out of those impossible times. You want to know how you can change things that you've gone through and struggled with for many, many years. Maybe there's something that you've honestly gone through for decades. It's something that you've struggled with and you're still looking for answers and you're thinking it's nothing's changing. Nothing happens differently in my life. Well, today we're hopefully going to give you some more answers to what that is. Now, if you missed last week, you missed a lot. You can always go back to our uh, website, xchurch.com. You can always go back and watch an old message, get caught up, or you can go on iTunes and you can download that also to get caught up. So if you guys ever have an opportunity where you, you, know, you're, you miss service, which we pray that you don't miss, we want you here because we love to see your smiling faces. We love you so much. So, you know, the thing is, it's not numbers. It's not like we get a gold star up in heaven because we got so many people here. That's not why we do this. We do this because we want you to grow. That's what pastoring is all about. It's a spiritual overseer, and that's what Cameron and I are both here for, is hopefully to steer you right, to give you spiritual oversight so that you can grow and you can become all that God wants you to be. I'm Deb, by the way. I am the assistant pastor, help teaching pastor, also the youth pastor, and uh, love youth ministry. I kind of always try to throw out there that everybody knows that that's really my deepest love. My deepest passion is dealing with teenagers, which a lot of people, you guys just don't like teenagers. I'm finding out. I love them. I think they're the best. You know what? They're just a lot of times just looking for someone to believe in them and have hope in them. And I think God purposely put that in my heart so that I can kind of reach out to them and show them that I care. So that's my deepest love. And my deepest desire is to grow up people. I think that's what we have here, actually. With, out of X Church is a lot of the people that actually went through youth ministry with me and actually have gone on to do great things in ministry, some that have become missionaries, some that have gone on to help other churches, cross countries. It's been great, so it's a wonderful thing. I've had some impossible things in my life that have taken place. There's been impossible situations that I found myself in. There's things that I never expected to happen, didn't know how I was ever going to change, but God had a way to help me through it. One time, a long time ago, when I was 28 years old, I went through this impossible time in my life where I was really just sincerely depressed, really didn't know if I could continue on, lost all hope in life. I had everything that the world told me I should have, everything that should be perfect on paper. I had the husband who loved me. I had the house. I had the two kids and the dog. I had it all. And already at 28 years old, I was like majorly depressed. And I remember going through this tough time thinking, how do I get out of this? How do I have hope? How do I take this impossible situation and how do I accomplish it? How do I become fulfilled? How do I make it in life? Well, God had an answer. And we'll get to that a little bit more. I'll talk to you more about it. You know, you might be having situations in your life that are really impossible things you're going through. Maybe it is, like we mentioned last week, maybe it is just your marriage. You know, maybe you had that deep passion at one point, but it seems like no matter how much you try, you just can't seem to get that, just that love back, or you just feel lost, or your communication's off, or there's just something happening where you just don't feel fulfilled anymore, 
and you think this is an impossible situation, how do I get through it? Like I said, it could be debt. It could be the fact that you went through school, you have lots of student debt, you don't know how you're ever going to get out of this. Or, or maybe you've just got yourself in a situation that you've got yourself so overburdened, so financially strapped that you just don't know how you're ever going to make it out of that. It could be the fact that you are going through a sickness. It could be something that you've been kind of like dealt that you don't know how to handle. And you're like, how am I going to get through this? This is impossible. could be somebody that you've really wished to see healed for many, many years, and you see nothing change. Nothing ever is different in their life. And you're like, is this going to work? This seems so impossible. Like I said, it could be that you're single, and you really hope for that special somebody to come into your life, someone that you really desire to have a close relationship. You look at all these married people, and they all seem to be so happy. (laughs) And most of them are. Don't let them fool you. There's just sometimes there's a little struggles, but most of them are pretty happy. And if they're not, they need to listen to this message. So anyway, you know, it also could be a person that you've really just wished and hoped and prayed for for a long time. If you're a follower of God, you really just want them to come to know Christ because you have seen that that's how you've accomplished the impossible in your life. But it seems so impossible because you're like, this person tells me all the time, man, you wouldn't want me walking to church. The whole place would fall down. And God says, that's what church is made for. As for you people that think you're not good enough, that's exactly why Jesus died on the cross. Is because every one of us is a failure. No matter how pretty we are on the outside, no matter how much money's in the bank account, we all are really not good enough to come to God. That's why we need Jesus and his perfection. But those things might, right now might be seem like just impossible dreams. I can't possibly see my way out of this situation. Like I said, if you're like me, you wonder, how is it? How can I turn this impossible dream into reality? Like I said, if you missed last week, I really wish that you would go back. I've told people all week, you know, go back, listen to the first message, because it really is kind of like the foundation of where we're going in this message. I want you to listen intently today to this message, because this is another key. And then I want you to listen and come back next week, because next week is the third message in this series, and it's important for you to understand, because you need all three to accomplish the impossible in your life. So I told you last week that this is not going to be about self-help. You know, I think the world just offers so much self-help. You can go on and you can Google anything, and you can get answers. You can hear Tony Robbins, you can hear Oprah, you can hear all these people that are going to tell you this is how you're going to accomplish the impossible in your life. Well, we're not going to do that here. Because like I said, that's pretty easy. If you really want to get some answers, I'm going to tell you, though, those things will work for a little while. But I'll tell you, you're not going to be long enduring through those things a lot of times. What you need is you need God's help to get through. See, this, the real help is actually going to come from the Bible, and it's going to come from a guy that's in the Bible that I really want to tell you about today. And if you, you kind of were here last week, you heard the message, wherever, you know I'm talking about Nehemiah. Most people always say, when you say, what's the guy that's going to give you all the answers in the Bible, and what's the story? It's going to be Jesus. Because we all know, if we've been raised in church at all, just about every question that you're asked, you just have to answer Jesus, and you're 99.9% going to be right. You know, who is this? Jesus? Yes, that's right. It's going to be the answer. But this is actually a guy that came about 400 years before Jesus, and his name was Nehemiah. And if you haven't really read much about him, you need to get caught up, because he's amazing. He's just an amazing guy. If you haven't read the Bible much and you didn't hear much about him, I'm going to tell you you're going to love his story. You're going to love it because it's going to kind of just reveal some impossible dreams that he had that were fulfilled. If you're an old 
faithful follower and you don't know much about Nehemiah, shame on you. Shame on you. Because you should know about Nehemiah. This could be the reason why you're just sputtering. You don't know what to do with yourself. But I will tell you one thing. When I read Nehemiah, I would never forget him. Because his story is just wow when I read it. You know, I, I mentioned last week that one of the things I'm really thankful for is the Bible shows us that there's some people that God uses that are just so surprising. You see God use these adulterers and, you know, prostitutes, murderers, and he uses them to accomplish his will. And I think that should make us all feel pretty good about ourselves because, you know, we all have faults. Hopefully, there's not a lot of you out there that have already committed murder, but Jesus told us murder is also hate and hate in our heart, which I'm sure every one of you have had hate in your heart at one time. But I think when we see that God can use those imperfect people, those people that we would say are throwaways in our society, we can see that God can use me. He can surely use me. Sometimes we can see in the Bible those people that God used that are just failures. We see that there's stories here for us to see that this is not how to do it. Don't follow this example. But then every now and then we have people like Nehemiah in the Bible that are like, this is who I need to become. This is who I need to strive to be like. Because Nehemiah was truly a man that accomplished the impossible. Reading through his story, you can find three simple things but simple things that can change your life and can help you to accomplish those things. And that is passion, prayer, and persistence. Those three simple things in your life, the deepest desires you have, can be fulfilled if you are passionate about what you're looking for, if you're prayerful, and if you're persistent. Nehemiah's story just lays it out so clear. That's exactly his story. And if, like I said, if you missed last week, you missed a lot because you missed a message, like I said, that's just foundational. You have to look inside your heart and see what it is that you're passionate about. Those things that are in your heart, the things that make you angry, sad, happy, those are the things that you're passionate about. Ones that demand a response. Something that comes out of you and you're like, that's, that makes me just get all riled up. It makes me smile from ear to ear. It makes me cry. Those are those things that are you're passionate about. If you don't have passion, you have nothing. You have nothing if you don't have passion. Passion is what draws your attention away. Something's there. You know, look at any relationship. Look when you fell in love. Wasn't it a passionate affair? Wasn't it when you saw somebody, you became so passionate about them, you wanted to spend every moment with them, all your attention, your thoughts were on them? all the time. Passion is so foundational to your hopes and dreams. Nehemiah had passion so strong to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, Judah. It was all his passion and his desire was to build those areas because his countrymen, the people, his homeland, were basically could be under attack at any moment. And he wanted to go and he wanted to do something about them. You know, if you don't have passion to accomplish those dreams, those hopes, those things that you desire, those hopes and dreams, you have to have them because if you don't do something more about them, if you don't have passion, they're just going to continually just become and be hopes and dreams. It's never going to go any farther than that. It's always just going to be a hope and dream, a hope that someday you're going to be debt-free, a hope that someday you're going to meet that perfect somebody, the hope that you're going to see someone get saved, be healed. Those are things that are never going to change. They're just always going to be hopes and dreams if you don't have deep passion to change it. At the heart of Nehemiah, 
like I said, was this passion to change things. And I'm really not going to get a whole lot in the story today or last week and this week farther than really in the first chapters of Nehemiah because there's so much there. There's so much we can learn about Nehemiah and what, through Nehemiah's story we can learn about ourselves that we need to change. So I'm actually going to read the same exact scripture that I read last week, but I'm going to read you this week. And I really want you to pay attention to the second part of the series, which is prayer. Be mindful of what Nehemiah says when he talks about prayer. He says in Nehemiah 1, 1 through 11, it says, In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Han and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. Passionate, passionate guys. His heart broke. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are faithful, if you are unfaithful to me, excuse me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place that I have chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. O Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. I explained last week, if you were here, that Nehemiah's job was to be a servant. His job was to bring the king's food and drink to him and taste it or drink it first. If there was something that was going to be poison to the king, he was going to eat or drink it first, and he would be the first to get sick and probably die. So Nehemiah was nothing but a servant. He had nothing except for passion. He had deep desire to accomplish the impossible. He had passion, but he also did one very important thing. He called out to God. He was prayerful. He asked God for help. See, our, our society has a real problem because what we, what we do is we live in this area of our lives where we think that we can accomplish everything on our own. We have ourselves on the altar because, you know what, we've been told by parents for years and years and years that you can get anything you want. You're great. You're wonderful. And I can tell you that's wonderful to give your kids confidence, but it's better to tell them instead you can accomplish all things through Christ who gives you strength, not through yourself. It's God who can help you. So passion is important, right? Passion is so important because it's the why, it's the why you're going to search. It's the why you're going to seek out certain things. It's why you're going to draw into closer to God. It's going to be that passion for him that's going to do those things. It's the why. Prayer is the who. And then you're like, no, no, no. Prayer is something you do. But prayer is the who. Because it's going to God that's going to change your life. It's going to God. It's going to Jesus. You know, Jesus says that he's our advocate. 
He's the one we go to. We ask for his help. We use his name. The Bible says a lot of times you guys aren't going to get what you ask. You know why? Because you don't ask in Jesus' name. That's a big clue in the Bible. See, the thing is you're missing out so much. There's so much in God's word that if you haven't read it, your prayers are ineffective. The Bible tells us when you pray, you ask in Jesus' name. Because Jesus is our advocate. He's the one who takes our prayers to God the Father in heaven. So when we ask, we say, God, I need this. Say what your petitions are, your prayers, the things that you desire, and then you say, in Jesus' name. But it's the who. See, the thing is, who are you praying to? What are you asking for? Do you, when you, you know, this, I'm going to tell you another thing that just drives me mad. You guys are going to hear my heart the next, this week and last week. The other thing I'm going to tell you really irritates me so much, you're in my thoughts. Well, who gives a darn? I don't care. That does nothing for me. Good thing. It's nice that you're thinking of me, but you know what? It means nothing. Your thoughts do nothing for me. It doesn't take my desires and my deep hurts to God. Prayers are effective. It's nice that you're thinking of me, but you know this, you're in my thoughts. It's like, well, who are you, God? You're not God. It needs to go to God. I'm a little passionate. I tell you that. I'll tell you. But I tell you, the how, like I said, we got the, we got the why is passion. We got the who, which is Jesus. The how is going to be the persistence. How you're going to accomplish the impossible in your life. And we're going to talk about next week. You've got to come back. I'm probably going to tell you more things I'm angry about, more than likely. But you know, with Nehemiah, his deepest, his deepest desire, his deepest passion, man, it was to seek out those people that he loved and help them. That was what it was all about, that he wanted to help them rebuild, help them to have protection. You know, but he realized and he knew that he could not do it without God's help. When's the last time you really, truly called out to God passionately for his help? Men, sometimes you have it worse because you're, you're brought up with this idea that you don't need to call out to God. You can do it all your own. It's through strength and brawn. You're going to make it. I don't depend on anybody. I make my own way. Well, that's pride. You're never going to accomplish what you need to, and you're never going to get the desires of your heart. You're never going to accomplish the impossible if you do not ask God for help. It's so important for you to get that, to understand we need to humble ourselves. Humbling ourselves is how we're going to change the impossible in our life. Nehemiah knew this, and when he, he called out to God, you can see it so passionate. You, you can see it's so prayerful. He says, I'm going to reread that part, Nehemiah 1, 4 through 11. It says, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Prayer that was long-lasting, hours, days, months. It's unfortunate because I think what happens in Christianity a lot of times is we make things weird. You know, and I remember getting saved. I did not go to church. I told you I was not raised in church. So when I came to church at 28 years 28 years old, I tell you, I thought you were all crazy. I thought you're crazy. I didn't understand this. I thought they're going to call on them. The only time I saw this was in school. You had a question. I didn't know what that was. I was like, what's all these people raising their hands for? Is there going to be a time of questions and answers? Or... I didn't know what it was. I mocked church. God has a great sense of humor. Because the things I mocked, I do now. I mocked it. I thought it was just hilarious. These people just happen to call out to God for help all the time. Seems so weak. 
because I had nothing. I grew up without a mom, without a dad, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to make it on my own. I'm going to blaze my own way. I'm going to make my way. No one's going to stop me until God stopped me. Until God said, you need my help to make it. That's when you're going to truly be fulfilled. That's when the impossible is going to be accomplished in your life. But he says, then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. You guys getting this? Are you paying attention? What I really want you to get through in your life, and I want you to leave with today, is the idea that if you go back, and if you ask God to forgive you, and you go back to following the commands... He says, no matter how far you were ever away from me, I'm going to bring you back close to me. It's just, he just wants a response from you. That's all he wants. And then, you know what? Our prayers are more effective. The Bible makes it clear to us that when we pray and we have sin that's all cluttering up our lives, it's almost like we're talking and he can't hear. It's like this big barrier, this big wall that comes between us and our, our prayers to God. Jesus can't hear him. The only way that our prayers can be taken, our Jesus, the advocate, can take our prayers to God the Father is if he can hear them. And the only way he's going to hear them is if we ask for forgiveness first. If we say, God, I need your perfection, because none of us, like I said, are going to be perfect enough. What we need to do is we need to ask God, forgive me of my sins, and then his perfection washes over us. And then God, the Father, who only can be as holy Holy God only can see perfection. And it's through Jesus, that perfection, when we accept him as our Savior, that he then can hear our prayers. God can hear our prayers. So when he said that, he says, we have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations you gave us to your servant Moses. Remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. If you are unfaithful to me, I will pull you away from God. You will not get the desires of your heart. You will not seek me. You will not get the things. But if you return to me and obey my commands, Ten Commandments, guys, are really not that big of a deal. How many of you guys even know them? We lost sight of it. If you obey my commands and you live by them, even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. That's in the churches all across the world. Those that are following Jesus, that's where his name is to be honored. That's why it's important for you to be in church. Like I said, not so that we can get numbers. We don't report to anybody except to Jesus. The only thing we're getting is the fact that we're hopefully helping you to become all that Christ saved you for and wants you to be. That's what it's about. The people by, that you rescue by your great power and your strong hand are your servants. Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. Prayer is vital. It is just vital. Vitally important for you to accomplish the impossible in your life. 
If you're just trying to make it on your own, you are never going to succeed. You are just going to spin your wheels forever and forever and forever. You're going to get done. You're going to let your last gasping breath will still be hoping for the things that you've never seen happen. Kids that you saw never come to Christ. Healings that you never have. Do you ever stop to think that maybe because the personal responsibility we have in that? Sometimes I think about that. What personal responsibility we have because we aren't effective in our prayers that we can't help. So many people that are probably going through tough times, we can't help them because God can't hear our prayers because we don't ask for forgiveness and he can't hear them. There's a personal responsibility in there. See, what's great about Nehemiah is he felt that. He felt that personal responsibility. He had it in himself. He took ownership. Our society, the churches in America, the churches across the world, there's no ownership in that. There's no desire to really seek passionately for God so that God, and get, and get our, lay our sins down and ask for forgiveness so that our prayers are effective, that we could change our families, we could change our destinies, we could change our eternities, we could change our bank accounts, our marriages. People could be healed. There's personal responsibility in that. But prayer is so vital. You know, I really think that a lot of you guys are still struggling with some of the things, same things that you're dealing with because you simply have never asked God for them. You never asked God to help you with them. There's things that you hold on to like this and he's like, not going to take part of this, God. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm going to keep working nine to five. I'm going to make it. And he says, just ask. Just ask me for help. It's called humbling yourself, seeking out God and asking. It's just a conversation that takes place. Every relationship you have in your life that's important to you is only going to be as good as your communication is. Right? In a marriage, you have to have communication. When you don't connect, when you don't talk, when you don't talk, tell each other that you love each other and you, you're not there for each other in that communication, it falls apart. In a job situation, if a job you're at, a boss doesn't tell you you're doing a good job, what happens is after a while you're like, am I doing a good job? Maybe he's not even happy with me. Maybe I, maybe I should just quit. Maybe I should start looking for another job. I don't know if this is good. A boss comes up and tells you you're doing great. You're like, yeah, I can continue on communication it's so vital in our relationship with god that we ask for his help james 4 2 and 3 says you want what uh, what you don't have so you scheme and kill to get it you're jealous of what others have but you can't get it so you fight and wage war to take it away from them yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask god for it and even when you ask you don't get it because your motives are all wrong you want only what will give you pleasure not the greater good. It's not, you know, Jesus, when he was dying on the cross, what did he say? Please, Father, take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet your will, not my will. See, we all want to jump out of that fire quick, don't we? When things get tough. But a lot of times we have to say, but yet your will, God. Because ultimately, his plan is going to be far better than ours, guys. Because we're so short-sighted. We just want to see the end in sight. But see, God knows from the beginning to the very end. He knows if you maybe have to struggle a little farther, maybe in that little small amount of time, maybe that's what's going to change your kids' lives, your family's lives. Something more is going to take place. It's just trusting in him that's going to make the difference. God tells us that you don't have because you don't ask. And when you do ask, like I say, you ask out of your passions. 
Nehemiah called out to God for his help. And one of the things he did is he asked for favor. Favor is huge. I'm going to tell you, you got, you got God on your side. If you're seeking him, you ask for forgiveness, you've got God on your side. And if you're in his will, you can bring down mountains, man. You can slay dragons. You can accomplish so much more when you have God on your side. The, the God who created heavens and earth, if he can create that, don't you think he can help you with your debt problem? Don't you think he can help you in your marriage? I think he can. We just don't ask. You know, he asked for favor, and I learned that a long time ago. When I started reading the Bible and I realized that favor was so important, I asked for favor all the time. I asked God, please pour favor upon me. That's when I meet somebody, give me favor. And I had doors open for me that I couldn't possibly imagine. My kids, as soon as I realized and recognized how much I could ask for favor for them, I asked God, please pour favor on my kids, God. Pour favor on them. Just give them, you know, put them in situations when they can receive from you that people will naturally gravitate to them. Doors were open for my kids. And prayer is so important. You know, I'm sitting here today, you guys, four years of praying for my daughter and her family to come home. I sit here today with them coming home. They came home on Thursday. They're going to live here now. That's God not good. God answers our prayers. It's in his timing. It's in his will. But he answers prayer. In chapter 2 of Nehemiah, like I said, he not only asked the king to release him, but he said, give me favor. Give me favor. Let me walk through this area. Send a a letter to these people where I'm going to walk in dangerous lands to protect me. Also, we asked these people to give me the timber, the wood to build He was nothing but a servant. And the king gives him these things, right? Yeah and no. The king gave it to him, but do you think the king would have gave it to him just on his own? Or do you think it was because he asked God for help first? He said, God, quickly, he sent up a prayer. And in those moments, that's when God changed the king's heart. Yes, okay. I told you last week, earlier in Ezra's story, the king already decreed this was not going to happen. It was an about face. About face to change everything. Nehemiah simply asked, how many of you guys are dealing with things that you could have gotten through a long time ago if you just simply would have asked? If you would have asked God for help. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God's promises are, the Bible says, yes and amen. If he promised you he's going to do something for you and you hold on to that promise, you keep asking for it, God will come through for you. I don't know if you're sitting there today thinking you've lost hope. Maybe you've been a follower of God for a long time and you've seen that God hasn't answers. Well, I think at that point is not to look at God and feel like he's done something wrong, but maybe look inside ourselves and think maybe what we didn't do right. Maybe it's us. You know? You know that breakup thing that we do? You know, it's not you, it's me. That's how it is with God. It's not you, God. It's me. It's me that has the problem. Nehemiah called out to God. He spent time asking, like I said, hours, months, years. He fasted. Fasting is denying yourself food or drink or both. It's really just kind of like every time that you were going to eat or drink, it's not doing it and seeking God instead. 
The Bible tells us, if you read it, that there's some things will never break in your life unless you fast for them. These things can only be broken through fasting, God's word says. Denying yourself, seeking God more. Nehemiah prayed in deep prayer times, and like I said, sometimes just a quick prayer. Now, God. You know, my most powerful prayers have been just, please, God, please, God, please, please, Jesus, please, please. That's been some of my most effective prayers I've ever had in my life. Because, you know, he knows our heart. He just wants to hear us say it to him. That's all he wants. You know, when we don't ask, when we don't pray, what we're actually saying is to God is, I don't need you. I don't need you in my life. I can do it all on my own. And I think that either makes us selfish or untrusting. And that's not how we are going to ever make it in our lives. You know, I think if you look at Jesus, man, he was selfless, wasn't he? He gave up everything. He gave up life. He was 30 years old and spent the next three years constantly doing things to draw people to him. We read these little stories of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but it actually says in the Bible, it says we put down everything that Jesus did, we would fill all books, all books forever with what he accomplished. He was so selfless. Everything was all about others. And then he trusted. He trusted his God, the Father, God in heaven. He trusted that he was going to die on the cross and then he would come back in three days. He trusted that God's will was better than his. He trusted it. He told everybody, and like I said, his promises are yes and amen. You're going to tear down this temple, but this temple is going to rebuild itself in three days. This temple is God. If you know him, he lives in your heart. If you don't know him, you need to ask him to forgive you. You need to come to him. You need to ask him. Help me to give up these things that I've done and put before you. The Bible says, where does my help come from? There's scriptures where it says, where does my help come from? Where does your help come from? Is it coming from you? Where does it come from God? My help comes from God. It comes from the Lord. I think when we believe that, we start to seek him in all areas of our lives, from little to big. You know, we all make fun of these people. It's like, what, are you going to get up? You're going to ask him if he should have eggs or you should have lucky charms? Yeah, if you want to, go ahead. God doesn't care. Big things, little things, he doesn't care. You know what he just loves to hear? He loves to hear your voice talking to him. You know, when you love somebody, you don't even have to say anything important, do you? You just have to just be in their presence. And you love it. Some of the best things is just being with somebody. Maybe just kind of looking over and giving a, a little glance sometimes. That's what's important in relationship. That's what God wants from all of you that say that you love him. Oswald Chambers says, prayer is the vital breath of the Christian, not the thing that makes him alive, but the evidence that he is alive. If you are alive in Christ, if you claim to know Christ, it's going to naturally flow from your lips. You're going to get up and you're going to go through struggle and you're going to say, please, God, I need your help. You're going to humble yourselves before God. You know, I think all of us would love to know. If I could tell you right now, man, I can give you the perfect string puller, man. You're always like, I'm looking for this person that's going to pull the strings, you know, that's going to help me get my way. You know, one that's going to pull the strings to help me get that job, the job that you've looked for forever, the perfect job. 
You know, one that's going to pull the strings, maybe work in my kids' lives or work in my parents' lives or work in my spouse's life. That's going to pull the strings that our relationship's going to be so fulfilling. Someone that's going to pull the strings that's going to give the desires of our heart. And I think we have the perfect string puller available to us. God can pull the strings. He knows everything from now until forever. And you know, we have people in our lives that are going to tell you, go to which day, this way, that way, try this, do this. Ultimately, the one we can trust the most is God. Because there's no selfish motive in his life. He's not selfish. He wants what's best for you. Even in people that you love the most, even those that you trust the most, there's some selfishness. Because, you know, isn't there something in our relationships we still want what's best for us a little bit? A little bit. Should I do this? And you're like, well, if it's going to cause you to be away from me, maybe not. You know, I don't know if that's a good thing for you to do because you're going to be away from me. See, there's some selfish motives. We can always trust God who's got our back. God's will, not our will. But you have to ask. You have to ask. Can it be this simple? Yes and no. You have to lose the sin in your life. You have to ask for forgiveness. You have to seek God for forgiveness. That's the whole point, is that he wants us to be perfected by coming to know him. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, then I'm sorry. I'm here to tell you the truth, that your prayers are no longer effective if you don't know Christ. You can call out all you want, but I really believe that your prayers are not effective until you come to know Christ and you let him forgive you of your sins, because then our Father in heaven can hear them. So if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, it's super simple, super simple. I can be here, you can come up to me and pray with me at the end, I'm going to be up here. But you can simply do it in your own mind. It's not something you have to go to somebody for help. This is what's so great about Jesus, is he makes it so easy. It's like faith like a child. All you have to do is say, God, forgive me of my sins. I'm going to put you first. I'm going to passionately seek you. Forgive me. I'm going to make you Lord. That's all you have to do. And he says, I'm yours. I'm yours. And then you'll be amazed at the change your life can have. So it is really simple. Nehemiah 1, 6 and 7 says, Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us to your servant Moses. So we need to first confess our sins. Sins of not believing in him, sins of not trusting him, sins of not asking him for help. And it's really just about humbling ourselves. Not being prideful. Not walking away thinking you can do it on your own, but thinking that I need his help. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, Then if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I'll restore their land. Don't you want restoration in your life? Don't you want to accomplish the impossible? This is the way you can do it. The people who are called by name will humble themselves, pray, and seek his face. He'll forgive your sins. So today what we're going to do is we're going to do just that. We're actually going to give you a moment. We're going to have a a worship song, a time of you. If you want to stand, if you know you're good with God, just stand and praise God. If you know that you need to ask God for forgiveness, 
If you've never accepted Jesus, or there's just something that you know that you have not trusted God in, you want to come, there's, you know, you can be anywhere, and where God is is an altar, right? We may be in an auditorium at old school, but this is God's altar. You can come, you can bow down, you can ask God for help. You can just ask him in your seat if there's something you're dealing with that you've never asked him for, you can ask for his help. But we're going to give you a moment to do that through this worship song. We just thank you for you guys being here. All right.